if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon, the for, took upon, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross wherefore god hath, hath also wherefore god also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father within the context of the verses that we have Selected for a text tonight, Paul is continuing where he left off in, in chapter number 1 of giving some pastoral counsel to the church at Philippi. Paul, we know, had had a, a hand in starting this church in Acts chapter number 16. And even though he was not present with them now, he was still desiring and still investing in them on a spiritual basis. And Paul makes a statement here in verse number 2. He says, fulfill ye my joy. And some people will take that phrase to mean that the, that the, the church is just about making the preacher happy and, and pleasing the preacher. But that's not what church is about. Paul, so when Paul says, fulfill ye my joy, he is saying that with a spiritual mindset. He said, you know what, you know, if you want to make me happy, you do what the Word of God says. You walk in the Lord. You honor God. And what would bring Paul joy? Look what he says in verse 2. That you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Paul, is, When Paul uh, is writing this, we know that Epaphroditus, you'll see him later on in chapter 2, had brought a generous love gift from the church of Philippi to the apostle Paul. But with that love gift, he had brought news of some division that was in the church of Philippi. There had been some, some, uh, some squabbles, if you would. He talks about the false preachers in chapter 3. And then there were two ladies in the church in chapter 4 that had, had a disagreement. And so Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you, if you want to bring me joy, if you want to be a blessing to me, get along. Amen. I say amen, Paul. That, that is the sentiment of every pastor. And, I, and, and the way you're going to do that, he mentions two things. He talks about humility and unity. And I want to preach out of these verses tonight on the great need for humility and unity. By the way, you're not going to have unity unless you have humility. Amen. Unless the people humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, you're never going to have unity. And so I want to look at these verses tonight. 
tonight with these thoughts in mind. Paul, in these 11 verses, is speaking about the subjects of humility and unity. And he will conclude verses number 5 through 11, magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll say this later, but I believe one of the ways we can magnify Jesus Christ is by having humility and unity in our life. You know, we live in the selfie generation where it's all about us, where it's all about uh, 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 who we are. In fact, we have our own websites now. Our own websites dedicated to ourselves personally. It's called a Facebook profile. Amen. I have one too. But it's all about us, is it not? We put pictures about us. We talk about us. We put our thoughts. We put our ideas. Don't look at me like that. You had a chance to testify and take it out the top and you didn't take it, alright? So I'm going to preach. Amen. But we all have those things and we make it about us. If we're not careful, uh, we will be lifted up in pride. But if we're going to have unity in the body of Christ and if we're going to have unity in the house of God, then there's got to be humility. Amen. We've got to have both of them. Notice three things tonight. First of all, in verses 1 through 4, there's the exhortation that is needed. He is exhorting them, and this is a needed exhortation. This is a good church here at Philippi. They got a good start. They've had people saved. God's blessed this church. They give to missions because they give to the Apostle Paul. They have a desire to see the work of God go forward. But they still needed this exhortation that Paul's given in these verses tonight. Number one, we see the spiritual reputation in verse one. If there be therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Now Paul, when he says if here, he is not questioning whether these things exist. He's saying, since you have these things, if these things are really in you like they say they are, if you're going to have these things, well, what are these things? Well, that consolation in Christ, the word consolation speaks of encouragement. I don't know about you, anybody else ever found any encouragement in Jesus Christ? I have in the salvation that He purchased, in the supply that He promises, in the scriptures that He produced, in the sanctification that He perfects, and the strength He provides. I've found comfort, I've found encouragement in Jesus Christ. That's what we found this morning in those storms. We found there's comfort in Jesus. We found there's encouragement in Jesus. That even though we go through storms and difficulties and hard times, that He is still a very present help in a time of need. That comfort in love is not speaking of an earthly love, but a heavenly love. And it refers back to our salvation. Romans 5 said that when we got saved, the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts. And so if we found encouragement in Jesus, and if we are saved and we have the love of God, then notice that companionship. He said that fellowship of the Spirit. What is that? Well, aren't you glad the Spirit of God lives on the inside of us? Amen. Aren't you glad we're not in this thing alone? Somebody said, I walk away from God. How are you going to walk away from somebody that lives on the inside of you? Amen. Your fellowship may not be right. Uh, your communion with the Lord may not be right. But I'm telling you, when he got saved, the Spirit of, when you got saved, uh, the Spirit of God moved on the inside of you. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Amen. Then that compassion is bowels and mercies. You know, when, when the Jews wanted to express love, or when the, in that culture, even the Gentiles would express love, we say, I love with all my heart. They'd say, I love with all my bowels. Don't that sound romantic? Fellas, I wouldn't recommend you writing that in your wife's Valentine's Day card. <laughs> Dear so-and-so, I love you with all my guts. 
It just ain't going to be the same as what it meant in Bible days. But in Bible days, this was a term of affection. He said, if you've got all these things, the spiritual reputation, but look at verse 2, the singleness requested, fulfill ye my joy. He said, you say you've got all these good things going on in your church. And they did. All right? Well, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one mind, of one accord, of one mind. Paul knew that what church workers, uh, what Paul knew what some church workers do not know today. There is a difference between unity and uniformity. True spiritual unity comes from within. It is a matter of the heart. Uniformity, it, that word means to conform to a pattern or rule. And it gives the idea of the pressure from without. Somebody making you do it. Now, there are some things we have as far as standards and rules that we have here at the church that we enforce. But I shouldn't have to make you want to read your Bible. I shouldn't have to make you want to pray. I shouldn't have to make you to want to love your brother in Christ. That ought to be unity that's in you, not uniformity, where you just conform to what everybody wants. I'm going to tell you what uniformity brings. It brings hypocrisy. You're just doing what's expected of you. And I understand duty plays a part in that. But I tell you, you ought to love your brother because the Bible said to love your brother. And you ought to love your brother or your sister in Christ. And you ought to read the Bible and pray. And a hundred other things we can mention. Because it's in you and because you want to. Paul mentions in chapter 1 verse 27 that are strive together for the faith of the gospel. We gave that word picture the Sunday night. You can strive together like this or you can each get on the end and strive together to get some work done. And we got a lot of churches they are good at striving like this one with another. They're good at their fists but they're not good rolling up their sleeves and laboring in the work of God together. We are laborers together with God. We find that Paul said, I want you to be like-minded. That means to think the same thing. Now, does that mean we all got to have the same prerogative about everything? No. Because most of all of us in here are married, and we, our spouses and I don't think the same. Well, at least me and mine don't. Maybe you and your wife are always on the same thing. I think quality entertainment is watching a football game. Amen. Amen. She thinks quality entertainment is... You know, watching somebody, a movie about somebody who's in love with somebody else and they end up dying at the end of the movie and their dog dies. Well, that's not entertaining. Dear John, the only movie she ever made me, I only watched her with that one movie. And the dude, you don't even know how the stupid thing ends, all right? And you're not even supposed to say that in the pulpit. You don't even know how it ends. I'm like, this is dumb. At least in football, there's a final score. You know what's going to happen. We don't think the same. And there's a lot of things we can say there. What she thinks is, and, and I, I'm glad, I'm glad she's over the decor of our house. But I hate hanging curtains. Help me, man. It's just, you know, just, amen. That's right. I'm glad. I mean, it's just we don't think. So is it talking about we have to have the same thought process on everything? No. But it's talking about when it comes to the church house. You know what our our like mind should be to glorify Jesus Christ. If me and my wife ain't always thinking the same thing. Why would we think that us that don't even live together are always going to be thinking the same thing? That's not what he's talking about. It's talking about having the same goal. He says, have the same love. John Phillips says, mental agreement will not last for long if you don't put your heart into it. Then he says, be of one accord, of one mind. Gives the idea of having the same purpose. What's your purpose? When you come to this church... And, and, I, and, and, and you joined this church and you made a, by the way, when you joined the church, you made a commitment to the church to pray and to be involved. What is your purpose? 
Our purpose should be to glorify Jesus Christ. If, if, churches, I listen to a lot of different conferences and stuff. And so I said, why do you do that? To save me $2,000, I had to fly out there to sit there in person. They put them online, I can listen to them riding down the road. But they said every church ought to have a mission statement, a mission statement, mission statement. Well, here's our mission statement, to glorify Jesus Christ. What better mission statement can you have? Because, well, I, somebody said, well, to reach sinners. Well, if you'll glorify Jesus Christ, you'll reach sinners. Amen. Glorify, that is our purpose here. My preacher in Tennessee that we support in Maine now was our theme of the church was making much of Jesus. That was old Dr. Jack Hudson's theme there at Northside all them years. And Dr. Hudson would say, if you'll make much of Jesus, he'll make much of you. We ought to have that same purpose. Notice the selfless request in verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's that humility. You want to have that like-mindedness? You got to humble yourself. Amen. There's the rebuke. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Strife pulls the other person down, and vainglory puts oneself up. Strife has no place, should have no place in the life of a Christian. The word strife means the desire to put oneself forward. I wrote this today. I said, be careful of those preachers that are always the heroes of their illustrations. Because the Bible said, uh, let another man praise thee, not thine own lips. And a lot of guys are good at lifting themselves up and bragging on themselves. That's strife. Vainglory means groundless self-esteem, empty pride, doing right things. For the wrong reason. That's what vainglory means. Doing the right things but doing it for the wrong reason. You ought not read your Bible every day just in, so just in case somebody asks you, did you read it every day? You ought to read it and you ought to pray every day because it's right to do and because you want to do it. An enemy of unity is pride. But watch the rebuke. But there's the route. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. How do you combat strife and vainglory? By humility. Humility is the opposite of conceit and selfish ambition. Humility is concerned for the advancement of others. Andrew Murray said the humble person is not one who thinks meanly or without dignity of themselves, but a humble person doesn't think of themselves at all. Now, I know it's quiet when you preach on humility because we all struggle with pride. I do, and you do too. And, and there's certain things about pride that are, that are good. Amen. Pride keeps you walking, keeps you from walking out of the house looking like a customer at the Salisbury Walmart. You have clothes on, you brush your hair and your teeth. Amen. That's some pride. That's a good pride. <laughs> Keep that pride. Thank you. Pride is what causes you to bathe every day. Amen. That's good pride. But you know what bad pride is? I'm better than that other person. I'm better than them. I, I'm, I'm a whole lot better off looking down on somebody. You realize God looks down on all of us? <laughs> Amen. Pride. Humble yourselves on the side of the Lord, he shall lift you up. Notice in verse 4, the saint's responsibility. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. You got to get your eyes off yourself. Don't be so self-focused on you. He, that's what he says. Look not every man on his own things. So self-centered. The Bible teaches us that we are to consider others. Especially in the body of Christ. Prefer your brother. Amen. But every man also on the things of others. Gives the idea of want, instead of always wanting to receive a blessing, you ought to strive to be a blessing. Amen. 
Instead of wanting somebody to always be good to you, when's the last time you was good to somebody else? Amen. Boy, ain't Bible preaching convicting? Instead of wanting somebody to put a crisp $20 bill in your hand, when's the last time you've done that for somebody else? Instead of wanting somebody to do something for you, when's the last time you've done something for somebody else? And when I'm preaching to generous people here tonight, anytime I've ever presented a need and an offering, you've always risen to the occasion. If we're not careful, self, we'll be like selfish folks that only look out for themselves. The Bible said in Luke 17, 33, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. There is the exhortation that is needed. This was a good church at Philippi, but they still needed to hear, uh, you need to humble yourself if you're going to have unity. Not only the exhortation that is needed, but verse 5 through 8, there is the example that is noted. Now, in this, and a lot of guys want to break up these verses, but it's in the same flow. Look not every, verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbed or be equal of God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He said, I'm going to show you an example of humility. It's in Jesus Christ. We note his supreme position in verse 5 and 6. This little phrase, the mind of this mind being you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ means the attitude that Christ exhibited. Your attitude and my attitude should be the same as the attitude of Jesus Christ. Now, let's think about him. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He had the glory of God the Father in eternity. That's his supreme position. But watch his submissive practice. Verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being found fashion as a man, he humbled himself. In Paul's appeal to the church at Philippi to be humble, he reminds them just how far Jesus went to save them. Now, let me say this and give you a little doctrinal theology. Jesus did not stop being God when he was born in Bethlehem. He did not lay aside his deity. He simply wrapped himself in flesh. For on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was transfigured, that human flesh was taken away. And Peter, James, and John, and Elijah, and Moses from the mountain saw him in his glorified state. He didn't stop being God. But he clothed himself in humility. We note in this verse that Christ took upon himself the form of a servant. Mark 10, 45 says, For even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In John 13, they entered the upper room that night and there was no servant there to wash the feet. That's the custom of that day. And the custom, if you enter into a home, there would be a servant in that home that would have a basin of water and a towel. And they would kneel before the guests and wash their feet. But that night, there ain't nobody in there but Jesus and 12 preachers. And God knows none of them was going to do that. So the biggest man in the room humbled himself, took a towel, and began to wash the filthy feet of the disciples. They didn't wear Johnston Murphys and Allen Edmonds in those days. They wore sandals. They walked on dirt streets. Can you imagine how filthy that, that water was? But you know what he did? He humbled himself and became a servant to make what was dirty clean. Is that not what he'd done for us? He humbled himself.
so he can make my dirty heart clean through the blood of his sacrifice. What was his motivation? Well, the Bible said he loved them to the end. I'm going to tell you how to be a servant. You got to love people. You got to love people that don't love you back. You know what you got to do in this humility? Sometimes you got to forgive. I'm at 20 minutes. I'll finish up. This is moving quicker than I thought it would. We've all heard of the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon. How many of you have ever heard of Joseph Parker? Besides, Brother Richie's probably heard of him. Joseph Parker pastored, Spurgeon pastored the great church there in London. And right across the river, still had a London address, Joseph Parker pastored a great church. And Moody, or excuse me, Spurgeon had an orphanage. And one Sunday, Mr. Parker was preaching. And he said a word about the poor condition of the children that enter Spurgeon's orphanage. He's talking about how they have such poor children, how what bad condition they're in when they get to the orphanage. But ain't it amazing, without Facebook, without telephones, even in those days, the messages got mixed up. And it got back to Spurgeon that Joseph Parker had told his people that the children in his orphanage were being treated poorly. Spurgeon got up in his pulpit the next Sunday and began to lamb blast Joseph Parker from the pulpit. Not only did Spurgeon have thousands of members, but the sermons in that day were printed in the newspaper. So all of London knew what Spurgeon had said about Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker, the next Sunday his church was packed because everybody wanted to hear what Parker would say about Spurgeon. Joseph Parker mounted the pulpit and said, I understand that Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today because this is the Sunday that they receive an offering for the orphanage. I move that we receive a love offering for Mr. Spurgeon's orphanage and send to him. The man that hadn't done anything wrong was misquoted, was attacked, said, let's take up a love offering. The story that I read said two days later, Parker had a knock at his door. He opened the door and there stood Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, brother, would you please forgive me? I misunderstood, you was misquoted. And, he, and here's a statement he made. He said, my brother, you did not give me what I deserved. You gave me what I needed, and that was grace. That's humility right there, folks. Can you imagine what would have happened if those two stayed at odds in London? And then newspapers going back, one and, back and forth. Humility. Notice the sacrificial provision, verse 8. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We're talking about unity and humility, right? It's going to involve a sacrifice. I know it's quiet when we preach on these things because it gets right on our flesh. It gets on mine. But let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. We note the exhortation that is needed. We note the example that is noted. But last of all, we note the exalted name. Verse number 9. Wherefore, since Jesus humbled himself... Became obedient, unified with the Father's will. He said, I do always those things that please the Father. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him 
and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some would argue that the resurrection is missing from Paul's message here, but it's not because he said God hath highly exalted him and given him a name. That speaks to the fact that he is alive. The exalted name. Notice there's comfort in this name in verse 9. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Somebody said, how is that comforting? There's a lot of big names in this world. But there's never a name as high as his name. There's never a name that's greater than his name. This is a carnal, carnal illustration. But me and Dax was watching the football game Monday night. And they pant. And I don't know Kirby Smart's a wicked man. He's got a filthy mouth. I understand that. Our quarterbacks, you know, they're, they're lost. They don't know God. But we're sports fans. We don't, we don't put a stamp on approval of their life. It's for entertainment. It's either that or we watch churches and make fun of them. And people call that sacrilegious. So you ain't much you can do. But you know, we was watching that game and the cameras flew over. And I said, look, there's Kirby. We met him. We got a picture. And I said, there's Stetson. We got a picture with him. You know, it kind of brings a little pride in our heart. Yeah, we met them. But they, if I was to walk in the room where they at, they wouldn't recognize me or Dax. They don't know who we are. We know who they are. I've shook the vice president's hand. Mike Pence, not the one we have now. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> she laughs like the Joker. You ever notice that? And Joyce Myers looks like the Joker. But anyway. <laughs> but I see Mike Pence. I'm like, yeah. I shook his hand. I saw Kevin McCarthy standing in the house in the rotundra. I said, yeah, I've stood right there. It kind of brings a little pride. Yeah, I've been there. But I'm telling you, when you see all these big names, when you remember that Jesus' name is greater, His name is more powerful. You know what we say? I know Him. And we, re- and we hear about Calvary, and we, we re- see the pictures online of Israel and all those things of Galilee. And even though we haven't been there, we've been there. We know what is the comfort in that because I'm glad there's a God in heaven tonight that we know, but better yet, He knows who we are. Even though the vice president, the quarterback, the coach wouldn't know who I am for nothing in this world, there is a God in heaven who is exalted above all. He knows who I am. There's comfort in His name. There's the contents of His name. In this text, He's called Jesus, He's called Christ, and He's called Lord. Jesus, that speaks of his purpose, salvation. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. Christ speaks of his prophecy. The word Christ is that Jewish term for Messiah, the anointed one, the one sent from God. And Lord speaks of his power. He is the self-existent one. He had no beginning. He'll have no ending. I tell you, there's comfort in that. There's contents in that. But I'm glad there's going to be a confession of his name. Verse 10 and 11. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things, in, of things in heaven, those in heaven are going to bow. And things in earth, those here are going to bow. And things under the earth, those in hell are going to bow. And that every tongue in heaven and here and in hell, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm telling you, there's coming a day when every God-hater, every God-denier, they will bow their knee and they will confess that Jesus Christ is not a way to heaven but the way to heaven. He is not a God, but He is the God. He is Lord. Amen. 
Well, preacher, what does that got to do with humility and unity? I'm telling you, when we, when, in this context, that is the context, that's the subject, humility and unity. When we are humble and when we are unified, the name of Jesus Christ is exalted. Is that not right? Is that not the primary context of this? He's wanting them to get along. And he said, you need to get along. You need to humble yourself. That's what Jesus did. If you'll humble yourselves and have unity, his name, just because in Philippians 2.11, when it's talking about, and I ain't sure when this day is going to happen. I've been trying to figure that out. I think part of it's going to happen at the great white throne judgment. I think it's three separate things. I think, I, I, th- I believe those in heaven have already bowed. Amen. And I believe when we get to heaven at the rapture, we're going to bow. But I believe those things only are those lost folks at the great white throne judgments when they'll have to bow. I'm telling you this, they're all going to bow. Hitler, Stalin, those that hate God, hate his word, mock him, they're going to bow. And it's going to be a unified, it's going to be a unified statement. Jesus Christ is Lord. Thus I submit to you tonight that if we at the Safe Harbor Baptist Church will humble ourselves, be in unity in one accord, we'll exalt his name. Can I give you a verse on that? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. He says, magnify the Lord with me. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. You know what happens when we're together? We're, we're humbled. He don't have the direction He's wanting to go. He don't have the direction He's wanting to go. We're standing together. We are unified for the purpose of magnifying Jesus Christ. You know what we need at this church? We need people that will be in line, be humble, and magnify His name. Together. Is his name, is he not worthy tonight? Then he's worthy of us setting aside our silly difference. I'm not talking about doctrine. I won't stand with somebody in false doctrine. You know me better than that. And I'm not even talking about across the board at other churches right now. I'm not preaching at other churches tonight. I'm talking about here. Paul was addressing one church in this text, primarily. We understand the application. But if we don't have humility in here and unity in here, we certainly ain't going to have fellowship with our Christian brothers and sisters out there at other churches. It, it's, I've been preaching 30 minutes, it's 6.55. And I don't think y'all have to go, some of y'all don't have to go to work more. I'm going to tell you, say something tonight, it's bad when churches have your reputation of fighting. That is not God's will. That has never been God's will. That's one of the reasons why we, we handle business in the, in, down there at the Rock or down there in the prayer room or get in my office because we don't want to have any disagreements in here. We don't want to have any minced words in here. We don't want it to affect our worship. We all, if we all sat down tonight and had a conversation long enough, as much as we love one another, we'd disagree on something. I got men that preach for me that I love dearly, that I have all the confidence in the world in. If I didn't, they wouldn't preach here. But you know, we don't see everything the same. But we're like-minded when it comes to what matters. May God help us to humble ourselves and be unified for the glory of Jesus Christ.
so we might exalt his name together. I preach 31 minutes. Let's stand together. I appreciate your attention.